Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Educating people on the atrocities of the Holocaust through comic books. That's right. You heard me. Comic books. Like I said, you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, so yeah, I guess it was about three weeks ago. My wife is looking through the newspapers, and she points out something in the post about this book that three men uh, got together on. It's The name of the book is We Spoke Out. It's It just took me, once I started reading the article, I was really knocked over by it because it's comic books and the Holocaust. And, uh, you know, having said that, just think about it. Comic books and a Holocaust. It doesn't sound right, but it was educating people in the 50s, and I'm flattered that three men were involved in it. Neil Adams, who is a giant in the comic book industry. Full disclosure here, I have never been a big comic books fan, so I wasn't familiar with the name. And then when I started reading about it, it knocked me over. He, along with Raphael Medoff and Craig Yo, put this together, and... Uh, introduction and afterward by stan lee so it's a who's who of gentlemen involved legends of the comic book industry and uh, it is my pleasure to have uh, neil adams with me now neil thanks very much for uh, agreeing to come thank, in and chat thank you i'm glad to be here well well first, first too loud in this mic oh, my you're, you're perfect you're perfect okay. my, my um l- let's start off with how how did this book come about? And, and you know, because really, I never knew about comic books and the Holocaust. Well, I don't think uh, comic books had so, too much to do with the Holocaust, uh, but I think that comic books had to do with what kids thought about thought about in America. And all through World War II, uh, our superheroes raised money for bonds, uh, fought Nazis. Um, uh, Captain America, of course, and Superman and Batman fought uh, Hitler and probably killed him three and a half times. Um, uh, but uh, comic books have been in the forefront of, of um, popular culture. In effect, comic books lead popular culture. Comic books become television shows. Comic books becomes, become movies, becomes compu- become computer games nowadays. And for kids, when I grew up, they were the thing you carried in your back pocket and you traded with your buddies 
to find out what was going on because that was our world, that and school, which was, of course, boring and terrible. And you're talking about the 1950s. Am yeah, I, yeah. Okay. well, I'm talking about the 1940s, okay. but I'm also talking about the 50s. Uh, so comic books were popular culture in, 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 a, in a very concentrated form. So when uh, the war, war was over, and that's really when most people heard about the Holocaust, there were people who were trying to talk about the Holocaust during the war, and they were shut up or they were ignored. They would go around and they would write books that nobody would read and they would uh, give speeches that nobody would listen to. And people didn't realize the Holocaust was going on because it's sort of like talking about Sasquatch. You know, it can't possibly be happening in Germany as bad as they are. They couldn't possibly be doing these things. And then we learned about it afterwards. And then we didn't talk about it. Well, there were people in comic books and there were people in other areas of popular culture, but comic books in particular because there was no restraints on comic books. You couldn't – you didn't go and say, you know, don't do that story or don't do that story. If it sounded like an interesting story, you would do it. So comic book artists and writers would write about the Holocaust. Remember, it's something that people don't quite realize that early on in comic books, we were a Jewish medium. Most of the comic book creators were Jewish becomes because everybody came from the Lower East Side. That's where you got your comic book artists. Uh, in, in fact, half of them changed their names from Jewish names to non-Jewish names because they felt, you know, that it was necessary to do that. And so you had actors and you had comic book people and writers. And, so there's a lot of people who knew about the Holocaust from personal experience, relatives who would come back and, and stories. So... They, these people, these comic book people who were relatives of Jews that were in the Holocaust knew more than America. And so the idea of presenting a story that was about the Holocaust didn't seem weird to them, and it didn't seem weird to their editors. So why not do it? Well, America wasn't doing it. I mean, I'm not saying that comic books were beyond what everybody else in America did, and I'm not saying that they were better. But we were talking about the Holocaust in a way, before other people were. And that's what this book is. Well, what struck me about the book, and I'm not saying it just because you're here, and I happen to have had a a, a stepfather who um, uh, went through the whole thing. You you know, uh, when I say the whole thing, he lost his parents, he lost his siblings, he lost his wife, his children, his business, you know, tattooed on, on, on the arm. And what, what what struck me when I was going through the various comics in this book, it captured the the artistry, captured the emotion. Like to me, you could get, as they say, verklempt. I mean, you can get choked up. I mean, that that's how 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 strong the 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 right. art, artistry was. I mean, it, well, it really told a story. Me, it, it got you emotional. Let me present a contrast to you. When I was uh, ten years old. Uh, my father was stationed in Germany as part of the occupation forces. And as part of the occupation forces, I, of course, was an army brat. And one of the things that the uh, United States government did at that time was they would sort of test the films and videos on us in school. I was 10, you know, there, it was uh, you get a response. And they would show the videos of the uh, American army and the Russian army coming into the various um, uh, concentration camps. I saw three hours of that. I couldn't talk to my mother for a week. I couldn't talk to her. I said nothing. 
Okay, she thought I was crazy. So, something was wrong. Something was wrong with me. Well, in a way, they showed it to us so that when they came to America and they showed it in America, maybe they wouldn't show three hours. They would show, you know, twenty minutes or ten minutes. They would show. They would segment it and move it apart and make it more repertorial. So you didn't get the full blast of it because it was so terrible, you almost can't believe it. I mean, you can't believe it. So that for me, okay, I've always felt that a presentation of the Holocaust has to in some way be watered down because it's too terrible. And I thought, you know, it's true about comic books. Comic books are interesting stories. And you can plant the terrible things within the story, but still tell a story that may be optimistic, may be interesting, may be dramatic, but does not represent the true awfulness of the Holocaust. Maybe it's just a little easier to take. I I noticed one thing, you know, going through the book, and it was mentioned several times that in in some of the comics, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, uh, some of the comics... They were put together without mentioning Jews. And and it seemed to be the reason for that is they wanted everybody to understand about the atrocities, about what a Holocaust is. But you tell me, was it about being able to market or maybe? We didn't, we didn't print those stories. Uh, there are stories that were like that. Um, uh, you know how political wind blows? Yeah. It blows many yeah. ways. Um, and so there were stories that were done like that, and the people who did the creative end, you can imagine how the, the idea of those words being taken out of their script felt, you know. So we didn't include those. We include the one, included ones that told the truth, uh, and that's what you're going to see here. Maybe if there's a book, too, or maybe somebody wants to write uh, a book on, you know, uh, censorship or whatever, uh, those are where those stories go. Uh, they were foolish and stupid the people who did uh, did the editing and took those things out were really sorry afterwards because they realized they were being idiots. Um, these stories are not those stories. These are these are stories about the Holocaust. And and the important thing about these stories is they do represent America. We're not talking about you know uh, uh, college professors writing uh, uh, intelligent books about about the Holocaust. We're talking about street people. People in comic books are regular folks. Yeah, they certainly are. I, I, I knew nothing about the comic book. I think I, you know, I was telling you this off the air. I, you know, I knew nothing about the comic book world, and I took my little three and a half year old grandson into a comic store a couple of weeks ago, and I was knocked over. Not just about how nice the people were, but the entire culture. It, it, it's a real, as they say in Yiddish, a Hamish, a Hamish world. It's a, it's a it's a it's a natural world. Yeah. It's, it's it. Uh, let me just. I think I put it in a nutshell. I never saw a kid in my life use his own money to buy a children's book. He would always buy comic books. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's not that children's books are bad, but you know when you write a children's book, you're given lists of words, and they can't have when a kid is a certain age can't have more than two syllables, and then more than three syllables, and they have word selections. But in comic books, we write for adults. And kids who read comic books, they read comic books to understand the story. They'll go to a dictionary or they'll ask their dad what that word means or they'll read the sentence over 50 times just to understand what that word means because they're interested in the story. And so comic books are a medium for interested, intelligent people who want to read fiction early on in their life 
And if it's any good, it'll carry on through their life. Maybe they'll come back to it later on or whatever it is. It's an American medium. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to brag, but America does it better than anybody. We really, really, really do in America do this form of material better than anybody. The Europeans are trying to catch up with us because their stuff is very sophisticated and very thoughtful. The Japanese are doing comic books, but it's very action-filled and dramatic. And so you can see Japanese movies, and they translate those things into Japanese. In the Philippines, they do the same thing. America does superhero comic books, and it was started by two Jewish kids in Cleveland, Ohio. Those two kids, who who knew that there were two Jewish kids in Cleveland, Ohio, created Superman. They are? They are Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And they created Superman, and they created... A comic book character that was like no other character in in any medium. They created a superhero. Mm. And that superhero bracketed the whole of the comic book industry. If you put, let's say, Batman, who has no superpowers, at the other end of a bookcase, Superman at this end and Batman at this end, all the other superhero comic books lie in between those two. One has no powers. One has fantastic powers. And that's a medium not unlike the gods of, of Greece and Rome, not unlike the fantasies of all countries around the world of their fantastic characters. This is American mythology, and it's now turn, turning into movies that cost $250 right. million. Dollars. <laughs> television shows that are some of the best television shows. And you can go to a movie. And you can watch the movie and you can say, well, at least that's not, this is not a comic book movie. And at the end, it says, based on the graphic Perfect. novel by so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, well, speaking of graphic novel, uh, you know, this book, for lack of a better term, knocks you on your ass when, when it show, when you, the first comic, this first story, first yeah. story Master, Race, Master Race, it is, like, as I'm reading it, I can visualize, like, a movie from the 40s, you know, with the subway, with, and, right. and, you, and it was captured. It's so. almost impossible to describe yeah, the story. Yeah, it, it me, really is. Let you me know. tell you something about it. The, the writer uh, wanted to do a, pay, a story that was 20 pages long, okay? And the editor said, I can only give you six or eight pages. And he said, well, I can't do this story. This is too dramatic and too powerful to do. And so he came up with a cinematic way of doing these repeated images in the panel. So you might have six or eight images in one panel, and you see those images in a, in a subway. The way when you go down into the subway, you see the cars go by, and, and you see the images in between things where you barely see somebody across the, across the platform through the, tele, the, yeah, uh, the it's, subway. It was incredible to me. And, and who, can, who does that? He created, he created okay, a new medium within a medium. And he did it in that simple story, in that simple and direct story. You see creativity, the creativity of terrific Americans. Now, let me just say something about that, that, uh, that fella. Okay. That fella was treated so badly by our industry that he ended up becoming an art teacher, and he actually told people he wasn't a comic book artist. Is that the, the writer you're talking Yeah, Bernie Craigstein. Okay. Bernie, Bernie Craigstein. He told people he was... I visited the School of Art and Design hmm. where I had gone to school, and I saw his name on the – I had given a lecture, and I saw his name on the door. You know, they have a little plaque by the door. And I went in, and I said, uh, excuse me, you're, you're 
Mr. Craig's Bernie Craigstein. He said, no, I'm Bernard Craigstein. I said, but you're the guy who did the master race. Master race. You're the guy who did that Chinese story that was so fabulous. You're the guy. I mean, you got, you, you change comic books. And he said, no, I'm not him. Uh, I'm a painter. He had been so beaten by an industry that wow. that paid people so poorly that people only did this work because they loved it. Hmm. They loved it. And people who do comic books love it. Just like people who make people who make films and borrow money from their uncle, you know, and, and they and they just do things because they have to. Sports people, you know sports. You know what it's like in sports. Sure. These guys will do it no matter what. They can wear rags and they'll go out and they'll do it, you know. They love it. They love it. And then he was beaten so much that he basically was driven away, and he became a painter, and he would only wouldn't admit to it. And I, I'd had to apologize and leave the room, and I knew I was leaving the room of Bernard Craigstein, who did Master Race. Wow, I, I, I'll tell Unbelievable. you, I, I don't want to give, you know, folks, while we're talking here, I'm not going to give away uh, endings and what, because it, oh. I want you to buy the book, and I want you to see for yourself, but it, it is captured with so much emotion, besides the artwork is beautiful, but then the second one kind of, you know, really got to me because it, it's the Desert Fox yeah. about Rommel and history, especially here in the United States, I believe, at least myself growing up. Uh, you know, my father was, you know, part of the greatest generation. Right. But but uh, most Americans, you know, believe that Rommel, he wasn't this Nazi. He was, right. He was he, a great general. He, he was a great general. Worthy of uh, he, he was Ulysses just, S. Grant type r- of a r- reputation. Right. And, and no. th- this this um, comic book, th- this story, tells a different story. Yeah. And basically they're saying, now hold on a second. Yeah. He was fighting for the Nazis. That's so it. the Nazis would win. But, but I've never seen that in all the stories That's and right. in the books that I've read. That's right. I have never seen somebody well, take an- Rommel to task. That's another thing about this uh, about this book is we discovered, you know, we, perhaps we knew it all along, but we discovered that these things were takes on stories that we may have thought you know, were, you know, this is the way it was, only to discover through the stories that, mm, no, it wasn't this way. It was worse. It was bad. Some of these people are awful people. Uh, the The... So it's not just a story book, a book filled with stories, but it's stories that you can relate to and will teach you some new things that you didn't know before. And, and, and that's what you do with comics, just like you do it with a novel. The, different, the difference between – you can't slide a piece of paper between the difference between a novel and a comic book. I know it seems that you do because comic books are, quote, for kids, but they're not for kids. They're for everybody. They wouldn't be able to make these movies. Well, I'll tell you what. This book certainly teaches you it is for everybody. I, I, I would highly recommend it. I, I mean, folks, there's nothing in this for me except I get the pleasure of doing this interview. But I am telling you, if if you want to teach your kids about the Holocaust, and if, if some of them don't know, and, and you know what, as we get older... I, I keep hearing this all the time, and, and that's that's all kids, including Jewish kids. They don't know about the Holocaust. I, I tend to forget. They, they too. tend to forget, and they, if these things get lost, and those kinds of these kinds of things, as we know, can happen again. I, the, the then there was one that, that I was reading through it, uh, the tattooed heart, and it got into lampshades and and and, and skin. 
right. of the victims being made into lampshades. And, and as I'm reading it, and you know, I've known about this, but as you're reading it and, and you're understanding it, you, you're, I, I'm telling you, I was feeling it. My, my skin little, literally was crawling. I mean, they didn't, for lack of a better term, they didn't pussyfoot around. They really, they went right at the issues. There was there was a there's a guy there's a guy named Mengele who would oh, test God who, Almighty. Would, who would test twins and torture one to find out if the other responded put people in freezing water with uh, full of ice cubes he would do terrible 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 things to people and he escaped to South America and continued to live we don't know if he's probably not alive now but uh, these guys a lot of them escaped they they escaped punishment of the terrible things that they did. And so we tried in the comic books. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people that I admire because I didn't get to do some of these stories and I have a few in here myself until later, until basically, you know, we got to talk about the Gollum and things like that. Um, These guys were closer. Some of these guys were a lot closer to what was going on. And, and they told real stories. And this is, you can say, it's a collection of comic book stories. No, it's a collection of stories about the Holocaust. Then there was one, uh, correct me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, Neil, Escape from Maidenek. 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 Right. And that was the first, uh, you know, reading this, I, I came to learn that that was the first camp liberated, uh, and, and it happened... Ten months before the end of the war, the Soviets, uh, but they, the Soviets captured it intact, which was a big deal because uh, when many of, you know, when, when we came in, when I say we, the Americans came in, you know, a, a lot of them were dismantled or tried to be destroyed. And because this was kept intact, it allowed for, you know, the artist and the writer to, you know, have what to work with. Right. And and that's another thing. That's another thing is that the 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 creatives in this. It's sort of like um, uh, how do you do these things without being on the ground there? Okay. Well, you do it by knowing people that are on the ground there. Uh, you know, I've seen um, uh, people who read scripts on television, uh, and they read about the Holocaust, and there's no connection. Some of them are very good, and some of them are very dramatic, and some of them are very talented, but. A lot of these people, their uncle was there, and he got away. And they, they know the people. They met the people. They know it very, very closely because they were part of it, but not themselves. There were people in America. Joe Kubert had family uh, come back uh, from Europe, and he would sit like a, you know, in the corner and listen to stories while the adults you know, with the tattoos on the arm would sit and talk these stories. And he would sit in in amazement that these things could really happen anywhere in the world. He lives in America. How could it? This could possibly happen. And and of course, I saw it on film immediately. There's a. These things are so dense with drama. Okay, that telling the stories a little bit removed helps us understand the stories you don't want to watch a lot of it right you know live but you can draw pictures and you can tell stories and you can pick a story out of something and turn it into a a piece of drama and that piece of drama will teach you something and will tell you about the holocaust 
Well, I, I mean, some some of the th- pictures. I mean, there, there's one, uh, you know, where, where they're showing people going naked mm-hmm. into into you know to their deaths in the oven, and you know, I'm mean, saying this is a comic book, and it it captured your emotion. It it, it just got you. It, it, it really. I, I mean, I was I was very much uh, impressed taken aback by it i i didn't know anything about this yeah. and and you know I, I like to think i'm a fairly guy up on things but this this really was, was quite impressive now you, you mentioned uh you know we'll get uh, might as well get to it now um dr joseph jo- mangala who was this just hideous human being the angel of death the angel of death um and you know, every time I heard that name, I remembered the movie The Marathon Man and uh, Lawrence Olivier with um, uh, Dustin Hoffman. And I remember well, he's walking on Forty Seventh Street, and there's an elderly Jewish woman, a refugee, uh, uh, walking across the street, and and uh, his name was Zell, and she's going Zell, Zell. The Vasa Angel, and you know, it, it, it so it, it just you know you. But this was about Dr. Joseph Mengele, and and to me, what you did. There's a thing in this which wraps it up. It's called the 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 last outrage, which you were very much part of, and it turned my stomach to read this story. It's it's about a a woman, folks. Um, Dina Babbitt. Uh, Dina Babbitt, who was first Dina, got Leobova. Now, Dina Babbitt, uh, you know, before she was Dina Babbitt, she was in a concentration camp. Well, let me just say this. She volunteered for the concentration camp. Her mother was going to be taken this is, away. This is a tremendous story. Go ahead. Her mother was going to be taken away to Auschwitz, and she, 17 years old, uh, was an art student. She was a big fan of Walt Disney cartoons, and she saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarves seven times. And uh, the Nazis came to take her mother away, and she refused to let her mother go away by herself. So she insisted on going with her, not realizing that she was going to go to her own death. So they ended up in the concentration camp together with adults and children and little children and old people and in barracks. And then the realization came, and a young man from one of the other barracks came to Dina Babbitt, or Dina Gottliebova, uh, because he had found out that she could draw. And he asked whether or not she could do drawings for the children to keep them entertained, because they had no other way to be entertained, so could she draw pictures on the walls? So Dina said, sure, and she went over to the next barracks, and she started to draw, do drawings of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs with chalk and whatever things she could find around because she was such a fan of the movie. And so the kids were entertained, but of course they were going to their death. So for a few short moments or a few short hours, they could be happy. They could see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And so it took a little bit of the edge off. Turns out Mengele had heard about this and he had... And he decided to call for her. He had her brought over to his area where he was doing his experiments, and he showed her around. And he explained to her, at 17 years old, of course, that he felt that gypsies were subhuman. They were not worthy of being human beings. 
and that you could tell they were subhuman by the quality of their skin and the color of their skin. But he didn't have good color film. So he felt if he could get somebody to paint them with their skin tone, then he could prove to other Nazis that they were subhuman. And she agreed to do the paintings because he thought she thought perhaps she could continue to live, and she made a kind of a deal. Don't kill my mother, and I will do your paintings. And so she did. She took a long time. She dragged it out as far as she could. She painted a series of paintings. And then, after a while, there was a death march. They went on a death march and came back to Auschwitz, and they were liberated. Both she and her mother survived. Other people survived, not too many. And they went to America. Uh, they were uh, free in America. And so she decided she would take what uh, her abilities and go out to Hollywood and get into the animation business. And she did very well. And she did very well, and she married a guy named Babbitt. The guy, uh, Babbitt. I'm trying to remember his first name. I'm very foolish. And if there's anybody out there that remembers it, please forgive me. Uh, he was the animator. And they went, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, each dwarf had a different animator. He was the animator of Dopey. That's Seven right. Dwarf. He was Dopey. He was the animator for Dopey. Of course, a wonderful character. He, Dina uh, Babbitt, I'm sorry, Babbitt, was also a union organizer. I would call that a good Jew. (laughs) (laughs) So as much as he might have crawled under the skin of Walt uh, by his union organizing, he was also one of their greatest animators. Uh, Dina was also uh, an animation uh, colorist and uh, inker, and she did lots of things in the animation business, and she had a good, terrific career, had two daughters. In the end, as what happens in America happened, uh, they divorced Uh, She raised the two girls, and they went back and forth between the two of them um, and continued and had a good life. And she was called one day, and she was told that uh, Auschwitz, the the camp in Poland, uh, had found these – had acquired these paintings. I think there were seven of them? Yeah. Okay. We have them in the book. And uh, so would she identify them? So she went over – to uh, to uh, the camp Auschwitz, and uh, she identified them because it says Dina on them. <laughs> really hard to miss, Dina. Okay, and uh, had identified them, and then she said she'd like to take them home with her. the The curator of the museum said, "No, we're we're going to be they're going to be part of the museum." He said, "Well, they." She said, "Of course, they belong to me." Now, whatever weird logic it took for the curator of the museum to justify keeping her property, whether it was, I don't know, there was a deal <laughs> on pain of death, mm-hmm. whatever the logic was that was presented, he insisted that it was more important that the painting stay at the museum. Forget the fact that she would probably loan them to the museum and they could make prints and all kinds of things could happen. Let, let me just interrupt you for one second because I have to tell you, as I was reading this particular part, yeah. this particular part of everything that incensed me, you know, mm-hmm. as, because you, you, if, you don't, if, if you can't be incensed when you're looking at this stuff, something's wrong with you. Yeah. But I'm reading this and I'm saying to myself, 
the balls on these people to, to this is a woman who lived through the Holocaust and survived, and thank God she got through it and was able to flourish. This is her work. This is her reward. And, and they're telling her she can't have this, and the logic, Neil, I'm telling you, I my, my, my wife heard me dropping F-bombs as I was reading it, and somebody had the balls to say, well, you know, based on your logic... These this artwork really belongs to Dr. Mengele, and I don't think he's coming by anytime soon to collect it. I, I mean, no, he's cowering under a table in South America. Is what Mengele is doing? What what world? It's it's a you can't explain these things. You can't explain that kind of logic. That and and look at we're Americans. We're lucky to be Americans, and we believe. Most of the time, at least, that it's the individual before the state. And the state doesn't have a right to uh, ignore the individual. It's, it's a terrible thing when that happens. And sometimes it does have to happen. And maybe, uh, and maybe it does. But you know what? This is such a clear case of the, the state denying the rights of a person who was under pain of death to do this work. Okay. And so the work belonged to her unless there was another agreement somewhere and there wasn't, okay? She and, – and this is the reality of it, and I, and I wish it wasn't the reality of it. But the reality of, of it is that these people were so obstinate and thick-headed and stupid that it didn't occur to them, as it should occur to them, that she will loan the paintings back to the museum and she would be honored to do such a thing. And she would be delighted if they made prints. And she would be delighted if they would honor her pe- herself and her people and show her paintings. They All they thought about was they want them. And guess what? Dina Babbitt can go to hell. Yeah, it, 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 to me, it, it, you know, it, it's mind-boggling. And, and listen, I'm quoting you here. For Holocaust survivors, Dina was a symbol of the tragedy of a a survivor denied restitution of her property. And and that message, uh, that was read at her funeral. That's from you. It's a it's it's not a good thing. And and you know what? We're going to get those paintings back one way or another. How long have you and and your your group been fighting this fight? Well, it started with it started with uh, Rafi, uh Rafael Medoff has a, essentially the president of an organization that fights for the um, um that we that we remember the Holocaust. The whole thing, thing about the He's the it's the director of the David S. Swyman right. Institute for Holocaust Studies in Washington right. DC. And it's his job to make us aware, remind us, you know, that the Holocaust existed. So as we forget, as New York Times pointed out, many, many people have forgotten already. Mm. And, and uh, that's his job, essentially his job. He happens to be a comic book fan. <laughs> <laughs> which is it's amazing pretty wonderful in a, in a weird but kind you, of way you think someday they'll get them back and get them to her 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 family yes well, i'm determined now now you guys i'm not the kind of person who if i'm determined it will not happen it will happen no i i i can sense that i i you you and you know the other people involved Greg in this. yo let's not not no, let's no not forget Craig he put this whole book together I mean if it wasn't for Craig we wouldn't have a book here well but, but all of you in in your efforts to I just I just don't I want to get back to uh, Dina for a second 
in, in your efforts. You guys, uh, people try to enlist and, and get the U.S. government involved and, and oh, people yes. have, and, and still. Con- Congress, lawyers, judges signing petitions, uh, and they said no, no, no. But you know, no is just an incentive for them to say yes sooner or later. Well, let's hope so. You know, speaking of this situation, look though, at them. Just let me say this: if they say, uh, forget if, when they say yes, okay, understand they don't even have her paintings on display. They have prints of her paintings, prints. So they've got them in a back room. What is They're the, not even showing them. What is the reason for not showing Stupidity. Your- it's stupid. It's the, try to, some of the answers to many of the questions of the universe is people are stupid. And they're obviously stupid if they're going to show prints and not show the originals. What, they're afraid they have to hire an armed guard or something to take Tina Babbitt's little paintings away? I don't think so. Here you have a situation, okay, where if they would – when they release them and give them back to the family, the family will loan them to the museum for months at a time. They will go there and participate in ceremonies that talk about the paintings. They might even go on a, on a, on a tour. They, they would just cooperate because you know what? They're nice people. Right. That's why. They're nice people. And they want people to remember. Well, th- this kind of situation, you know, brings me to something about you, uh, you know, reading all your, you know, from Batman, uh, uh, you know, your notable works. I'm just going to go through them quickly. Batman, Brave and the Bold, Detective Comics, Green Lantern, Green Green Arrow, X-Men, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, Strange Adventures. What am I missing? No, don't. Yeah, I'll tell you what you're missing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm getting to that. Tell you what you're missing. The, the most important thing, and that's what impressed me so much when we were talking before we went on the air. The thing of all the, what you have to be proud of, and 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 your company continuity. Um, what what you what most proud of is the fact that you you were the guy that was able to get artwork returned. To the artists, which for a long time, such as the Dina Babbitt situation, hasn't been the, wasn't the case. And royalties, and royalties, which we never had in our industry. Now, that, how, how, that was a big fight. How did you do that? That's not the thing I'm most proud of. The thing I'm most proud of is Superman versus Muhammad Ali, a real champion in the real world, mm-hmm. fighting alongside a fictional champion. I think that was the most important thing. Why, why was that the most important because thing? Because you know what? You know when people talk about slaves in America and black people talk about slaves in America? They were right about everything. You know, when I, I, would, I, would, I would hear the arguments and hear the debates, and I'm a New Yorker for the most part. I mean, I've been around because I'm an army brat. When black people talked about um, uh, slaves and they say, well, you, you guys did it. And, and I heard, and I hear people say, well, "It wasn't me. It was 100 years ago, 200 years ago. It wasn't it? Was other people? No, it's us. It really is. It really is us. And anything we can do to undo that as fast as possible is what we should be doing. That should be the work of our part of the work of our lives. You know, just like doing the dishes and you know making sure the drain pipes are unclogged. We should be making an effort now and then to be sh- to show something about equality." 
that's what we should do. That's what that book is about. I, I, I have a little a thing in there, if you don't mind me. No, saying. no, please. Okay. The uh, aliens, they have Ali is fighting Superman in the ring. And uh, and there's an announcer, an alien announcer, and he says, um, uh, well, here, you, some people wonder why we had Superman keep his Superman outfit on while he's fighting in the ring. And he says, it's because most um, most earthlings look so much alike that we couldn't tell them apart unless he kept his costume on <laughs> right right <laughs> right is that you a, know what i'm saying yeah that's it it's just the darker skin that's all well speaking of the darker skin and and i i don't forget where i was reading it and, you know i was you know doing my research on you and some was it an editor or somebody complained uh an artist was doing a story on uh, African Americans, and he complained that the skin color was too oh, dark. It's actually a long story. I'll <laughs> tell you as fast, fast as I can. Okay. I go to my editor and I say, you know, uh, this Green Lantern character. Oh, so it was you? Yeah, it was okay. Me. It was me. I'm the pain. I'm in the trying ass. to remember. <laughs> I'm the pain in the ass all the time. They can, they see me coming. Believe me. They're, oh, Neil's coming. We're going to have trouble. So they. Uh, I went to my editor and I said, Green Lantern, you know the Green Lantern character? He has a ring and he, you know the Green Lantern character. Anyway, I say, yeah, you know, there ought to be something could happen to Green Lantern. It's quite, uh, quite a way back because now there's lots of Green Lanterns, but there was only one then that we knew of. There were others in space. But anyway, we ought, he ought to have, what happens if something happens to him? He's got to have a, you know, replacement. And my editor says, we got one of those. We got this guy, the Guy Gardner. He's a, and I said, I, look, Julie, I don't read the comic books. I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, and I pulls his books out, and he says, look, right here, Guy Gardner. And I says, okay, it's a white Anglo-Saxon American Protestant gym teacher. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No. Julie says, uh, so I said, uh, Julie, you know, I think we should hit him with a bus. <laughs> he, said, he said, why do you want to hit him with a bus? I said, well... You know, if you just break his arm, it'll he'll be off for a month and a half. But if you hit him with a bus, he'll have internal injuries and all kinds that could last a year or two. Why do you want to do that? Well, I think we ought to replace him. What do you have in mind? Well, I said, Julie, do you watch the Olympics? He says, I watch the Olympics, which he did. I said, Julie, how often do you see three white guys? I'm just saying. How often do you see three white guys? I usually I see black guys, I see Asian guys, I see white guys. I very rarely see three white guys. Maybe in archery, you know, <laughs> or the Winter Olympics. <laughs> right? Or the winter. I'm just saying, I very rarely see three white guys lined up. He says, "You want a black Green Lantern, don't you?" I said, "Julie, am I that shallow that you can see through me so easily?" <laughs> really. He said, well, what if we have an Asian Green Lantern? I said, well, you could do that, but you don't treat Asians very well. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, for 10 years, you got this guy who's Green Lantern's, like, best friend on the airfield, okay, and you name him Pie Face. <laughs> we didn't mean anything by that. Yeah, Julie, I could bring 100 Asians in here. And I think if I said that you named a character Pie Face, every one of them would be insulted. Every one of them. Well, I didn't mean it that way. I said, well, just, you know, Julie, really. He said, so you want a black Green Lantern, huh? I said, no, 
I don't want a black Green Lantern. I want a college-educated, professional man to become Green Lantern. I don't want a gangbanger who suddenly gets a superpower and then becomes a superhero. I want a man. That was your idea? Yeah. Wow. First time in comics. So we did it. Okay. But here's the end of the story. My editor and my head of production at DC Comics come to seek me out. And I'm in some corner drawing pictures. I'm drawing pages. Come and see. Neil, uh, we noticed you colored uh, this John Stewart character. Um, dark brown. <laughs> I said, yeah. So, well, usually we color black people, you know, kind of light brown. I said, yeah. Well, maybe you'd just like to change it to light brown. You can do it with the numbers, you know, the coding on it. I said, no, I don't think, it's, I don't think so. He said, uh, you know, it's not hard to do if you want to do it. I said, no, I don't think I want to do it. I know more darker people than I know lighter people, but I know they're lighter brown people, but you know what? Uh, there's a lot of dark brown people. <laughs> just, you see, you're not going to believe what he said next. Okay, I'm going to say it, but you're not going to believe it. Are you sure pe black people won't be offended? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Julie, Julie, believe me. If, you're, if you get a letter from some a black guy who's offended by being, having a dark brown character, you give me that letter, and I will answer that letter. I don't think it, that's going to happen. It, it, it's unbelievable. It, it, it really is. Uh, Neil, I, I have to tell you. Uh, I could sit here and talk with you for hours and hours. This has been uh, a pleasure, a delight, and more important than that, an honor. And I'm not saying that in a patronizing way. I, I think your work is brilliant. For people who want to know more, uh, uh, learn more about Neil Adams, I would go to his website, neiladams.com, and you can see a lot of his work. Uh, the book is We Spoke Out. Right. It's by Neil Adams, Raphael Medoff, and uh, Craig Yo. And again, the um, the introduction and afterward is by Stan Lee. Lee. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you can't do better than that. You, you can't do better than that, especially in the uh, comic book industry. Um, but I really, folks, if you if you want to educate, especially your children, we spoke out to me. I mean. I mean the reason I, I have Neil Adams in here is because my wife went out and got two books, you know, for our two of our grandsons. And, you know, they're, my grandsons are three and a half, two and a half and six months uh, right now. But this is something that we wanted to get and we wanted to say for them because we think it's that important. It, Neil, it's just uh, it, it's a brilliant piece of work. And again, I'm not just saying that, uh, you know, I, when I found out about it, I going through it, it, it just, the more with each page that I turned, I was knocked over by it. So, uh, it's something that you should be proud of. And I really thank you for I, being here. I am proud of it. And thank you. Well, and with that folks, it is a wrap on today. Uh, as always, uh, Thank you for getting a load of me here, and now uh, I'd like to get a load of you. So tell me what you think of this wonderful uh, 
podcast of Get a Load of This with the great Neil Adams. A little different than some of the stuff we do, but I think it was very worthwhile and very important. Uh, My thanks to my fine uh, producer here, Crash, better known. Well, no, his name is Mike Caragliano, but we like to call him Crash. Our thanks to 77 uh, WABC program director, Craig Schwab, and as always, you the fans, because without you, I'd have nobody here to talk to. So until next week, it is Russ Salzberg saying to you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.